You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic Summer Camp. So dear friends, I am honored and privileged to be here with you. Thank you to uh, Fleming and the team for the invitation to come and do these two Bible studies today and also tomorrow. And as uh, Pat Christian said, it's based on my book, my latest book, Doing Spirituality. Um, and just basically to in- introduce the idea of spirituality or spiritual formation towards Christ-likeness. And the subtitle of the book is The Journey of Character Formation Towards Christ-likeness. How does it what does it mean to become like Jesus? And so by way of introducing what's in the book, I've got these two sessions. And this morning I want to focus on um, Jesus and the Gospels in terms of spiritual formation. And then tomorrow morning focus on Paul and the way he understands our journey towards Christ-likeness and how we transformed and conformed towards the image of God's Son. So maybe just to start off with, I would like to just again formally pray what I often pray before I speak is to say, Jesus, what an honor and a privilege to be speaking in your name. And Father, what an honor and a privilege to be teaching your word. And Holy Spirit, what an honor, what a privilege to be relying upon you as my partner and you are the teacher. So Lord, whatever words come from you, may they penetrate our hearts and produce much fruit. What words that I speak that are not from you, Lord, let them fall to the ground and die. But I want you, Lord, to be glorified. We want to hear you, Jesus. We want to receive you, Father. We want to experience you, Holy Spirit. Let us hear, open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church at this time. We receive you, triune God, and we worship you. We worship you, we acknowledge you, we honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. So God's purpose in creating all of creation The universe, as we understand it and we know it, is an expression of the Trinitarian dance of love. The Greek fathers, uh, in the development of the theology of the Trinity, understanding who God is because of the coming of Jesus, God incarnate in Jesus, spoke about the Trinity as the perichoresis. And uh, it, it later came to mean, not its original meaning, the dance of God, that the Father pours himself in love into the Son, generating the Son in a a self-giving of the Father to the Son. And the Son eternally returns the love of the Father to the Father in returned love of outpouring obedience, eternally saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And the Father loves the Son And the Son loves the Father by the Holy Spirit, who is the love of God. And St. Augustine, in teaching on the Trinity, talks about when you have love, you always, by definition, have to have three things. The one who loves, the lover, the one who is loved, the beloved, and love itself. And the Father loves the Son, who is the beloved. And the beloved Son returns love to the Father, And the love itself is the Holy Spirit. And then the Greek fathers say that this dance of exquisite, uh, beautiful, transparent relationships of interpenetration. The word perichoresis literally in Greek originally meant interpenetration of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That they are three persons and yet their love is so pure and their relational unity is so intimate that actually they are one. And you cannot differentiate them. And so this love of interpenetration, this profound intimacy 
they say is, uh, is uh, the, the love of God that then goes into ecstasy, the ecstatic love of God, ecstasis. The Greek word ecstasis is to explode outwards. And creation as we know it, with all the galaxies exponentially expanding outwards from the big bang of God's spoken word that created all things, this beautiful, mysterious, unbelievable, expanding creation is God's explosion of ecstasy. Creation is the ecstasy of the outward explosion of the Trinitarian dance of love. And in, on planet Earth, in creation, <laughs> after six days of creation, after five days, and God looked and said, it is good. Then on the sixth day, God looked and said, now let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. And male and female created he them. And he gave human beings in the, to be the image bearers, the likeness of God on planet earth, control to rule and reign over all that God made. And the kingdom of God that Ted spoke about, the wonderful, the real Ted talk, I will remember that, the real Ted talk this morning. Uh, the kingdom of God came, was on earth in the Garden of Eden. The Hebrew word for Eden means paradise. At least means delight. The English translates it into paradise. The Garden of Eden is the Garden of God's delight where heaven and earth are married and one. And God and human beings are in a perichoresis of mutual interpenetration of love through which Adam and Eve explode outwards from this intimacy of love in a Trinitarian relationship of Adam and Eve and God, the three in one. And the explosion outwards in love from this profound intimacy is the rule and reign of God over creation that establishes shalom and expands shalom to the ends of the earth. And so God's ultimate purpose in creating human beings is that we actually are his image bearers and we are made in his likeness to be God to his creation. We are, in English, his vice regents, his under rulers, to represent God. So when the animals look at us, they know what God is like. And when I look at Torbion, I know what Jesus is like, because Jesus and Torbion are very much the same now. <laughs> I'm teasing him. <laughs> when I think of Torbion, God forgive me, I always think of Norwegian fish. <laughs> and Jesus <laughs> but dear friends um, we have got to recover an understanding of our human vocation you know to be human and to be fully human we are not destined for heaven up there in the sky somewhere God created angels to be in the heavenlies. God created human beings to be on earth and to rule the earth. And our destiny is, is this earth and the new heavens and the new earth that will come into a marriage at the second coming of Jesus. And we will rule and reign in resurrection bodies over the new earth where heaven and earth is married as it was in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of creation. And what happened tragically is Adam and Eve forsook their God-given vocation, their God-given uh, uh, destiny and, and purpose of being made by choosing sin, disbelieving God's word and choosing to believe the word of the serpent and basically gave away their God-given authority to rule the earth to evil. And Satan, with his kingdom of fallen angels and demons and evil spirits now rules and reigns in this present evil age in which we live. So Paul's phrase in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 is, we live in this present evil age out of which Christ has rescued us into his kingdom. And he, Jesus and the coming of Jesus, Jesus is the second Adam who actually is the, in English... I must use easy words. Uh, 
he is the quintessential human being. He's the ultimate human being as God intended human beings to be. He's the, the last Adam, the second Adam who embodies and fulfills our human vocation in terms of our purpose of creation. Jesus comes to bring back the rule and reign of God and to establish Shalom, the Garden of Eden, the new creation, and to extend it to the ends of the earth through new Adams and new Eves who are the born-agains. Those of us who are born again into the kingdom of God have the life of the new earth and the new heavens called eternal life already in us. And we are people of the spirit of God who are born of God. And, and are, are new Adams and new Eves in a new creation. Paul puts it this way. If anyone is in Messiah, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come and is beginning and is taking over the old in all of its ways and in all of its, its patterns. So just to establish the first point. The first point is God's plan and destiny for us is to be renewed in his image and to become like Christ because Jesus is the embodiment of who God is. Jesus came to reveal God the Father to creation where Adam and Eve failed to reveal who God is to creation. In fact, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, their choice to disbelieve God's word, and trust the word of the serpent over against God's word because they grasped for a knowledge that they did not have the character to handle. The devil tempted them to say, I will give you or you will have the knowledge of good and evil if you eat of this tree. But Adam and Eve, if they had only eaten of the tree of life and all the other trees and avoided that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have eventually come to know all that God knows through a long obedience in the same direction. And they would have had the character development through relationship with God by character formation to handle the knowledge that God would have given them when they needed it. We only need to know what we need to know when we need to know it. How many of you know that knowledge is power? Paul says knowledge is power. And so um, they grasped for the knowledge of God by not trusting God, but by taking the shortcut of instant satisfaction, instant coffee, instant Norwegian salmon, (laughs) instant satisfaction, instant sex, instant orgasm, instant drunkenness, instant everything. It's this drive to worship ourselves. It's the idolatry of self. And so Jesus has come to restore the image of God, to model what it means to be human, and to model what it means to be truly, fully human, and to be the second Adam. So those of us who follow Jesus, dear friends, we have a single, simple calling and pursuit in life, and that is to become like Jesus. That is to fall in love with Jesus and to come to know Jesus and so love him and to stay in love with him that we become like him because Jesus is God in human flesh. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the book of Acts in terms of the impact of the life of Jesus through the church as it explodes outwards in an ecstasy of love, the ecstasis that's the book of Acts, is God's ecstasis. If, the, if this first physical creation, which we know is so incredibly beautiful, it's called Norway and Sweden, where there's heaven on earth here. It's so beautiful and pristine. If that happened with the first big bang, if the cosmologists are correct, and I believe the big bang is when God spoke. His word broke the sound barrier and became actual, it became material matter. So Einstein was right. But it was the word that spoke that was, broke the, the speed of sound that became energy that created matter. If the first Big Bang made all of this so beautiful, the resurrection of Jesus is the, is the Big Bang of the new creation. 
When Jesus rose on the garden, it was the beginning of the new earth and the new heavens, the new heavens on the new earth, where God is making all things new with new Adams and new Eves to take uh, the Garden of Eden, the kingdom of God, to the ends of the earth in anticipation of its consummation when Jesus returns. And so to be human is to is to respond to the call of Jesus and to follow him and by following him to fall in love with him and to know him so intimately in a relationship of mutual interpenetration, of interactive relationship, whereby we learn from him, we live with him interactively, to learn from him how to become like him so that we become the restored image bearers of God. That we actually become recreated in the image and the likeness of God. Because Jesus is the image and the likeness of God. He is the fulfillment of our human vocation. As God intended in creating human beings originally in the first place. Which Adam and Eve lost. It's the restored rule and reign of God out of restored intimacy with God, out of restored image of God. So that when people meet you, they actually are meeting Jesus in flesh. And by, if they meet Jesus, they're meeting God. You know, in the book of Psalms, uh, Per Christian referred to the book Praying the Psalms. So um, that's volume one. I've got five outline of five volumes in my computer. So God help me. I've got to get to volume two next and then volume three. But I tell you, I became a follower of Jesus at 13 years old and I fell in love with the Psalms because as a teenager, my parents and my brother, and my sister were not Christians. It was a quite an ungodly secular home and I was persecuted a lot for my faith. And I turned to the Psalms and prayed David's Psalms Day and night, crying out to God. Those psalms are amazing, the prayers of Israel through their king, David, a passionate man after God's own heart. And you pray the prayers of David and you, you feel the passion of God. But David often says, when the heathen say to me, where is your God? God, will you show yourself? God, will you reveal yourself? They say, where is your God? You talk about Yahweh, the God of Israel. Where is your God? How long? How long, Yahweh? Come and show yourself on our behalf. Vindicate us. And then Jesus comes along and he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me speak, You've heard the Father speak. Because I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. And then our Philip, he still didn't get the message. He said, Lord, you talk a lot about your Father. Now, show us your Father and then we'll be happy. And his answer was, well, how long have I been with you, Philip? And he checked his watch and his calendar. It's been about two and a half years I've been following you, Jesus. Actually, he said that in John 14. And that was the last night before Jesus was crucified so we followed you three and a half years and then Jesus says if you've seen me you've seen my father I am the exact representation and expression of who God is and so that's I just wanted to first of all present this vision to you this picture of what it means to be human our goal is not to become like angels our goal is not to become divine as in being a disembodied spirit in there on he in heaven munching on the ozone layer and causing the hothouse effect on planet earth. Uh, we, we are not destined to be disembodied spirits. You know that your body is holy. Your body is created by God. It was never destined to die. We, death is a foreign intrusion into God's creation. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would still be alive today in the brightness of the shining light of God through their bodies. They would be intelligent as we never knew intelligence could ever exist. Because their long obedience in the same direction would have in incrementally and progressively transformed them into ever shining light of God. 
so that emotionally they would be the most refined emotional beings that would move in the compassion of God and feel all that God feels at any time in any given situation anywhere. Imagine becoming the kind of person, if you had to close your eyes and just picture yourself 20 years from now, 10 years from now, or even go like the monks. I talk a lot about the monastic movement and I draw a lot on the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Philokalia, the writings of the the monks from the Eastern Church. And they say frequently to all the monks that come, the novices, they say they train you in prayer to picture the day of your death when you will breathe your last breath. And they say on the day of your death, when you breathe your last breath, the person that you will have become at that moment is the person that passes into eternity and is the person that you will live with throughout eternity. And so they ask the question is, who are you becoming? Who would you like to become? Many people, as John Wimber used to say, many people grow old, but they never grow up. And in South Africa, we have the Afrikaans language. You say, you grow old, but if you don't grow up and mature and deal with your stuff and take responsibility for your brokenness and go through a progressive process of spiritual formation and healing towards Christ-likeness, if you don't grow up as you grow old, then you grow up omgekrap. Now, those of you, anyone from South Africa, besides my son and daughter-in-law, but it means that you grow old slowly but surely, irritable, aggressive, um, bitter, and twisted, and you become a difficult person to be around. Please, dear friends, have mercy on those people around you and grow up a little bit before you grow old. Don't grow old without growing up. You make it very painful for the people around you. And so Dallas Willard has a phrase. He says, one day when we die and everything, everything, all our pretense, all of our masks, everything is stripped away and the real you is presented before God. That is the person you will have become for all eternity. And so Romans chapter 8 verse 29, Paul the Apostle, he says that God, those whom God foreknew, those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus is the very, is the exact Hebrews chapter 1 I'm quoting now. Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And when Jesus says, Fleming, come and follow me. Ari, come follow me. Ria, I met Ria again from originally Christian Sant, was it? Come follow me. It becomes a lifelong journey that overtakes the whole of your life for the rest of your life of following Jesus to live with him interactively through relation, personal relational intimacy whereby you learn from him how to live your life as he would if he were you. So that through a process of what is called in Jewish rabbinical understanding, discipleship, you become a disciple of Jesus. And to be a disciple is to choose to follow, to live with, to learn from, to become like. In the times of Jesus, and we've got to recover understanding Jesus as a human being. We've got to recover seeing Jesus in his humanity. We too quickly and too easily see Jesus as a, the divine son of God. Uh, uh, when when uh, I think we've been taught in Protestant Christianity, Evangelical Christianity, Pentecostal Christianity, the, uh, Jesus as the divine son of God who atoned for our sins and rose again to vindicate his his divinity. And we've, we've almost but completely lost sight of Jesus in his humanity. And the historical Jesus studies through J.P. Meyer, Catholic New Testament scholar in America, and Tom Wright and a number of others have brought back to us an increasingly profound and beautiful picture of the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Young, a young 
30-year-old rabbi. You know that when Jesus started, in, the, in Judaism, in the temple time, second temple Judaism, you could not become a priest until you were the age of 30. You could only begin to serve in the temple at the age of 30. At the age of 30, Jesus left Nazareth and his father's business. Abba Yosef, his father Joseph, had died years earlier uh, from deductive um, 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 understanding from the evidence we have in the Gospels. But, uh, and he went to John the baptizer in the wilderness who was his cousin. And he was discipled by John. John was Jesus' mentor. John, Jesus didn't only go to, to John to be baptized or, 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 or for one week and then was baptized. He learned from John the message of the kingdom. Because John preached, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus was then baptized by John at 30 years old. And this young rabbi, 30-year-old rabbi, after his baptism and infilling with the Spirit, was driven by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days. And there was tested and tempted by the devil. And he overcame Satan by not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but trusting God's word. It is written, human beings will not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. If you read it carefully, the 40 days wilderness temptations reversed the Garden of Eden. It was the desert of humanity into which Adam and Eve were driven once they had been driven out of the garden because of the fall from pristine paradise into broken creation. And they were driven into the desert of humanity and the desert of the world. And Jesus starts reversing that in the desert. And then he begins to minister for three and a half years. And you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I tell you, you start seeing a human being, a young 30-year-old man who came from Nazareth, Yeshua Hanotzri in Hebrew, Jesus the Nazarene. And the most remarkable man, so full of the love of God and the compassion of God, so filled with Torah. He had learned the Hebrew Scriptures, most of it by heart. He was steeped in the Psalms. He was steeped in Isaiah. He quoted of all the, of all the words in red. In the English Bible, you have the red Bible where all the words of Jesus are printed in red. Have you seen that in the Gospels? If you read all the red words in that Bible, most of Jesus' quotes from the Old Testament are from the book of Psalms. The second most are from the book of Isaiah. The third most are from the book of Daniel. The scholars have done this analysis. And I tell you, Jesus lived and breathed Torah. He walked. You know, Hebrew meditation is memorization. And memorization is meditation. To memorize scripture whereby you can quote it. Because in Hebrew understanding, the word of God is not on tablets of stone standing outside of us accusing us as in the Ten Commandments. But the word of God was originally meant to be written on the tablets of our heart. Hearts of flesh and in our minds. But more importantly, the word of God is to be on your lips. That everything you say. So just imagine... When you look at Jesus of Nazareth as the exact representation of God, what it means to be fully human and fully alive as the image and likeness of God, the new Adam, the last Adam. <laughs> Jesus, in every situation, at any time, each moment of each day, with any person that he met anywhere, he, when he looked at the person or was with the person, he he naturally thought the thoughts of his father. He naturally saw what the father was doing. He felt God's feelings for the person. Then he spoke God's words that God would speak. And he did what God would do. Jesus was God incarnate. So I went on a long detour. But thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing me back. The monks say... The monks say, when you pray, imagine the day of your death and the person that you will have become and prepare for that to become the kind of person that God intended when he first created you. So what, what, what was God's intention in making you, Tova? Sanes, am I pronouncing it correctly? What was God's intention when he saw your face even before he made the world and he knew the name his parents would give you under God even before he? 
He created anything. And he planned your life. He planned your life with an intention and a purpose to become like Jesus, to be godly, to be his image bearer on earth, renewed in Christ. And he planned for you to come to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to become the kind of person that he always intended you to be, which was to become more and more like Jesus. So my prayer has been, Lord, as I grow on through life in this long obedience in the same direction that involves the whole of my life for the rest of my life, whereby I wrestle down all of who I am and all that I have and all my relationships and resources into discipleship under King Jesus so that I progressively am transformed towards your likeness. Then I pray and say, Lord, let me every day increasingly think your thoughts. Let me feel your feelings. Let me see what you are doing. Every word that I speak, may I speak your words and not my own words. And if I do speak my own words, then let them fall to the ground and die. (laughs) But if I speak your words, may they penetrate like the seed of the kingdom into the fertile heart. May they be like the fire of the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit that penetrates the deepest consciousness of human beings and brings transformation. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to think your thoughts, feel your feelings, speak your words, do your works, and be you to other human beings. To become like Jesus. The will of God is, he's predestined us to be conformed. So Paul uses three words. We are conformed to the image of Christ. We are transformed into Christ-likeness and we are formed into Christ-likeness. So in terms of the Gospels, and I've been on a long introductory detour, and now I'm eventually struggling to get back to the Gospels. But just to say to you, in following Jesus of Nazareth, who is God incarnate, the Jewish Messiah of the Jewish God, the God who revealed himself to the Jewish people, the God of the creator God of the whole earth, of entire reality, who revealed himself in human history through the Jewish people, Yahweh to the Jewish people and the fulfillment of Yahweh's promises to Israel was a Messiah and Yeshua is that Messiah. And we follow a Jewish Messiah. So I have really uh, so been transformed over the last last 10, 15 years studying the historical Jesus studies and fallen in love. And I understand now better that when Jesus said, come and follow me within Uh, Judaism at that time, the message that Jesus came to bring was the message of the kingdom of God. And the way that the kingdom comes is come and follow me. And by following Jesus, we enter into his community of discipleship. And discipleship for Jesus happens both one-on-one in relational intimacy, but also and primarily within community, the kingdom community. And by living within the community, which we call local church, you join the local followers of Jesus. And by living in community, you know, we get to choose our friends. So the more I get to know Ari and Fleming, I'm sure I will choose to be their friend because I think they are good guys. Hoping. Um, But you don't, we can choose friends, but we don't choose our brothers and sisters. You know, in a family situation, your mom and your dad, you know, they just wink at each other and then the next baby comes along. I mean, we know it's a little bit more than winking, but for this purpose it's just they wink and then another child comes. And so I have Angelica, Jürgen, Alexander, I'm the last born, and Jürgen and I are, are 13 months apart. And you know, you've heard of sibling rivalry. So Jürgen had no choice. 13 months later, I arrived. In God's family, when Jesus said to um, the fishermen, come follow me, they followed Jesus. And then he said to, to Simon the zealot, who was a freedom fighter, the zealots believed in the liberation of Israel from the Romans 
in the pursuit of Torah purity because they believed that if Israel obeyed Torah for one day, the whole of Israel, then God would send his Messiah. So they were prepared, they had a theology of holy war where they were prepared to use violence to kill the infidel. It's the opposite of jihad, holy war theology, which many Christians have used. You've heard of the crusaders. Some Christians believe you can kill people in the name of God to do God a favor. You're aware of that but not in pacifist Sweden. Thank God. <clears throat> but Jesus said to Simon the Zealot, come follow me. So when Simon the Zealot followed Jesus, he suddenly found a group of fishermen there. And he first smelt them before he saw them. <laughs> you know, those fishermen in those days, they had the smell of fish on them the whole time. Because every day they went fishing. And so, but then Simon had to put up with the fishermen because he's now following Jesus, and then he goes on and he calls Matthew the tax collector, and Matthew's sitting at a table with a queue of people, own Jewish brothers, collecting taxes. And of course, he used to collect more than the Roman army, the Romans required, and his taxes enabled the Roman army to be present and oppress the, the indigenous people, the Jews, but he collected more because business is business, and his pocket grew bigger and bigger. Um, so tax collectors were, the, were the, the sellouts, the Uncle Toms, who supported the oppressive Roman regime and betrayed their own, their own native people, their own Jewish people. They were the most despised of all people. So the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, and the drunkards, and all, all non-Torah observant Jews were considered as the anawim, the marginalized, broken, poor uh, people that were to be despised. So Jesus says to this tax man, Matthew, come and follow me. <laughs> and Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus. And when he follows Jesus, he's so excited. He's found as a rabbi to follow, young 30-year-old rabbi, which was unheard of in Israel, but you only became a rabbi as an old sage when you had a, a gray beard and you were getting a bit older. Then you had some wisdom to teach. But Jesus, for 30 years old, was a highly highly unusual, presumptuous, self-appointed rabbi within his context. But then when Matthew followed, he got so excited, he threw a party that night for Jesus and he invited all his friends. And who were they? Zacchaeus and many other tax collectors who were in South Africa. They, were, they would be the corrupt people like President, uh, ex-president Zuma, who for 10 years stole most of the money a lot of the money in our country. <laughs> but they are the corrupt people. Drunkards came to the, the party. Prostitutes came to the party. <laughs> Oy vey. <laughs> um, and Jesus, through Matthew and his buddies, had a reputation that he hung out with these sinners. The anawim is the Hebrew word for it. The weak, the broken, the rejects of society. The ungodly, the ones that God would curse. And judge. You must know the problem that Simon the Zealot, whose whole ideology was the purity of Torah and the pursuit of the liberation of Israel through obedience and holiness, with Matthew, who was the ideological opposite in his society, who was the sellout and the supporter of the Roman system. But Jesus was the glue that held people together who otherwise would not stay together. Jesus is the reconciler who reconciles the opposites of society in a kingdom community of formation, spiritual formation, that is the means of reconciliation of a divided and broken world out there. And so you just look at Jesus' community. Discipleship happens in community, through community, under the headship of Jesus by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it's always discipleship for the sake of the world. Because Jesus said, follow me, and I will form you, spiritual formation, in and through community, to fish people. Because he said fishing, because he first called fishermen. But if he, if he met builders, other carpenters, like he was a tecton, that's the, the Greek word which was a mix between a stonemason and a carpenter. They actually built houses. So they, built, they cut the stones as well as built the lintels out of wood for the doors and the windows. 
So um, he would have said, come and follow me and I will make you builders for the kingdom. If you're a teacher at school, come and follow me, I'll make you teachers of the kingdom. If you're bearing children, follow me and I'll make you a mother for the kingdom. Whatever your occupation is, it becomes your kingdom vocation. In following Jesus, in discipleship, he uses your life occupation through which you live out now your kingdom vocation. I hope in English that makes sense into Swedish and Danish and uh, Norwegian. So it's all for the sake of the world. We follow Jesus in relational intimacy within community for spiritual formation and transformation for the sake of the world to be Jesus to the world and bring the kingdom to the world. And if it's not for the sake of those out there, then it becomes an inward-looking, incestuous church of Acts 2 for us for no more, where we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. (laughs) So discipleship is following Jesus in community for the sake of the world. And Dallas Willard, if you've heard of him, but uh, a great leader in evangelical Christian world who went to be with Jesus in 2013, but his definition is wonderful. Discipleship, so the Gospels talk, use this category of discipleship, whereas Paul uses the idea of spirituality. And I'll explain spirituality. But they both mean the same thing. Discipleship is living with Jesus interactively within his community, learning from him how to live your life as he would if he were you. Yeah. I cannot live Jesus' life that he lived 2,000 years ago because he was a rabbi and I'm not a rabbi. He wore different clothes to me, and he lived 2,000 years ago. I cannot go back in history and live his life. But what I can do is learn from him because he's resurrected and alive, and he lives in me by his spirit. And I live literally in the sacrament of the present moment. I live moment by moment. As each moment is a gift of grace from God, I live interactively with Jesus by the indwelling Spirit, moment by moment, learning from Him how to live my life as He would if He were me. Because Jesus knows me and my stage in life. So I've been through the stage of having children, raising children, or rather children raising me, I'm sure you've discovered that the reason why God gives us children is to grow us up as parents. We don't grow kids up, they grow us up. Because they keep you on your knees. And they make you sanctified. But I've been through different stages of life. And in each stage, I've had to learn from Jesus how to live my life in that stage as he would if he were me. To become ever more Christ-like. So that I take on the character of Christ by the indwelling Holy Spirit through interactive relationship. And I learn to increasingly yield and surrender at ever deeper levels of surrender. To the indwelling discipleship of the Holy Spirit in and through community for the sake of the world. So that you, you, you become unconsciously more and more like Jesus. That just it becomes instinctive and natural. That when I'm s- sitting at the breakfast table and then Fleming walks in and comes and sits there in, at the hotel and then Torbjorn comes over and greets me, in my mind I'm saying, Jesus, how would you greet Torbjorn if you were me? <laughs> Jesus, what do you think about Torbjorn this morning? Jesus, how are you feeling about Torbjorn this morning? Jesus, what are you doing with Torbjorn this morning? So that it becomes second nature. By virtue of spiritual practices and disciplines, you take on progressively the very character of Christ indwelling in you by the Holy Spirit so that it becomes second nature just to think the thoughts of God, feel the feelings of God, speak the words of God, and do what God is doing at this moment with this person in this situation. And it's not... It it moves from from an unconscious unawareness that you can be that to become conscious that you need to be that to consciously entering into a life of discipleship and spiritual disciplines that progressively transform you into consciously becoming like Jesus whereby eventually it becomes 
unconscious being and not conscious awareness. The more conscious I am of being like Jesus, the less I am being like Jesus. You know Moses, when he went up the mountain and was on Sinai for, and he hung out with God for 40 days. I love that picture of Ted, the dude. Far out, man. I, m- maybe Moses was far out in the thick darkness on Sinai, which he went into the thick darkness, which he found was brilliant light. And he hung out with God behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies on Mount Sinai in, in the most immediate, intimate, direct presence of God, spirit to spirit, union and communion. And he was transformed by light into light so that when he came down after 40 days, he was completely unaware that his headlights were on. (laughs) He only realized that he had been changed, that something had happened to him by virtue of living interactively with God for 40 days, learning from him how to become like him as if he were him, that when the people said, hey, 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 Moses, dim your headlights, put, we can't, you know, here's a, here, here, here's a blanket, put it over you, we, we can't see you. True spiritual formation is increasingly unconscious. But it starts off with conscious effort and conscious relationship, and it becomes literally your second nature where it has an effect on those around you that you are completely unaware of. And thank God for that. Because the moment you become aware of it, the devil sits on this, well, sometimes he's on this shoulder, on my shoulder, other times he's on that shoulder. Sometimes he tries to sit on my head, but I hear these voices in me. Ah, you see. Do you see these two fingers? They're black, my nails. So eight weeks ago, I preached the powerful sermon at church and the Lord came with mighty presence and when we left church I was walking my wife Jill to the car and I, and I felt so good the, the presence and power of God was in I heard this little voice inside me saying thou art Elijah <laughs> and I thought yes power power fire fire fall fire more Lord I'm powerful. And then I opened the door for my wife to get in the car. And then as I closed the car door, I closed it on my fingers. I spoke in all different kinds of tongues. And as I extracted my fingers out of the car door, I heard a little voice saying inside me, Thou art not Elijah. (laughs) my friends (laughs) fall in love with Jesus fall in love with Jesus Jesus of Nazareth that man not a guru that floated a meter above the ground and went a holy man Jesus was very human Jesus was very human He felt our weaknesses. Fall in love with that man, Jesus of Nazareth, by reading the Gospels and stay in love with Jesus of Nazareth and give the whole of your life to follow Jesus of Nazareth and live interactively with him through spiritual disciplines, the classic spiritual practices of the the Christian life and learn from him how to live your life as he would if he were you. And then... Aina, is that right? Then, then Aina, the Holy Spirit in you will progressively change you to become like Jesus. And people will notice the difference and you'll become like a pane of glass that the brighter the light of Christ shines, the more invisible you become and they only eventually see Jesus. That's what this book is about, to become like Jesus. And it's a systematic unfolding and exposition of what discipleship is through Jesus, what spirituality is in the Pauline understanding, 
And then the mystical gospel of John's gospel, Jesus, the Christian mystic. Because John's gospel is the mysticism of the indwelling father. And then going on into all the practices for the spiritual life, for spiritual formation towards Christ-likeness. So I've gone on and I didn't get to what I planned to speak on, but maybe that's what God wanted to say this morning. And it's supposed to be a Bible study, and I notice I haven't even read the Bible. I brought my Bible just to prove I am a Christian pastor, <laughs> and I am a vineyard pastor, and I do read the Bible. But uh, um, so, so maybe what we could do is have in, any comments or questions or interaction, or we could just wait on the Lord and, and let the Spirit of Jesus pour the love of the Father into us. As Paul says, God... By implication, the Father has poured his love into us by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And I, I have been changed through kingdom theology in the early days of the vineyard. In my academic theological studies in South Africa, I was reading George Elder and Ladd before I met John Wimber because Ladd was the, the kind of pioneer and popularizer of kingdom theology in the, in the Western world. And that's who, who Wimber learned it from, and that has changed me. But let me tell you, in the last 10, 15 years, the historical Jesus studies has, is, is further changing me and deepening my hunger and appetite to become more like Jesus. And then Trinitarian theology, especially of the Eastern Orthodox Church, of the, this Trinitarian dance of the Father pouring out his love in a kenosis, a stripping and self-emptying of the Father into the Son. We only know that the Father loves the Son in the way he loves the Son because of the Son's stripping and self-emptying in his kenosis to earth. Where he had divinity but did not hold on to divinity but let go of privilege and power and majesty and became a human being. And as a vulnerable human being, Learned to love God just in you as I have to learn to love God. And he learned to live interactively with his Father by the indwelling Holy Spirit so that we can follow Jesus as a model of what it means to be human in God by the indwelling Spirit of God whereby the Father pours out his love into the Son and the Son pours out his love into us by the Holy Spirit that is a... a, a a life journey of progressive transformation. You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website, vineyardnordic.org.